This is Kelly, and Kelly's the Dean of Engineering at Lorain County. Good morning, Kelly. This is John. Good morning. I know this is, um, you know, a, sh- a shorter format, so I'm, I think I'm going to jump right into kind of the meteor discussions rather than, you know, leading up to things. You know, the, the purpose of what we'd like to do is is to, to help a, a lot of labs figure out some of the – one of the, the primary goals of many labs is to become sustainable. And, and the way we'd like to approach researching that is find out what what labs currently do to, to have become sustainable and to continue being sustainable, bringing in revenue, you know, and continuing their efforts. So, you know, what the, the set of questions that we've assembled really are geared towards – Finding out what you've done to create the lab, and then you know how 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 the lab remains sustainable. So I mean, normally we start with sort of how did you start the lab, and we, we go through a whole like what was the inception and the folks and the funding around it. So maybe you know, given the compressed time frame, uh, maybe you could give us a short introduction to from a financial perspective how your lab came into being and how it was originally sort of you know sprung forth from a financial perspective. Um, we, from a financial perspe- perspective, the way we started was we actually were given seed money by the administration here at the college um, after a, um, a, a presentation that Dr. Gershenfeld made for our Meeting Great Minds series. And so we made a request to start a fab lab. We were given approximately uh, $30,000 to find equipment, we had to agree to find the space, so we found a closet that we cleared out, and we really began, we really began in a closet, and um, in terms of financial fund, um, personnel funding, it was really um, one faculty member, um, Scott Zutek, and um, a, a laboratory instructional assistant, and a technician um, that had personal interest that really spent their time um, acquiring the equipment, trying to learn how to use it. So it was not formal in any way, shape, or form. It was really just sort of this grassroots, geez, we're really interested in this. We don't know what we do. It's a cool thing. Okay. And that was in 2005. 2005, okay. From 2005 until today, could you give us an idea on, on how you grew and, you know, how large the lab is today in terms of funding, in terms of people, in terms of users? Okay. Um, really, when we started out, obviously, it was um, you know pretty minimal in terms of funding. Um, one of the nice things about being attached to a community college is there isn't an expect there is not an expectation that we are going to turn a profit. And you know if we come you know as long as we are serving the community and we're reasonably responsible budget from a budget perspective, the, the college is you know pleased. So what we have done is we have begun the task of integrating the fab lab into existing classes as well as um, creating um, several classes where you know in the process of creating more that we actually. Um, we used to generate some revenue, if you will, by student revenue. The budget that we have is approximately, I'm going to say, oh, about 150000 a year. And the reason I'm giving you an approximate number is we just had a cost reduction in um, budgets this year because of um, sort of the poor financial um, state that Ohio is in. So their funding has been cut to, to colleges, and you know we're all feeling the pain a little bit. I've lost some personnel funding, and I'm not sure why. 
so right now I'm going budgets and trying to rationalize with our accounting office what they did to me um, because they've cut well more than 10%. Mm. But generally speaking, um, part of um, a professor's time, in this case Scott Zetek, part of his time is dedicated to the Fab Lab, teaching Fab Lab classes, so it's part of his regular load. And then we have um, two laboratory assistants that um, we pay to, to keep it open the 35 hours a week. So um, we don't have a huge budget, but we serve probably around, this past year, I'd say we served at least 2,000 people. Wow. And um, what the, in the manner in which we serve those people, um, I have the data sheets that I'll send you because I actually just sent this in. I'll send it to you last and you can forward it on. Um, we were tracking a lot of data for um, an MDFP grant, a Midwest Digital Fab Lab grant that we were participating with uh, Fox Valley, and this was an NSF grant, so we were actually keeping track of our numbers. Um, we serve students in both credit and non-credit classes. We have an early college high school on our campus, and we have a local grant from the college to try and boost the early college high school students' math scores um, using the Fab Lab. So we served about 120 early college high school students teaching them math for a semester in our lab. Um, wow. in, in addition, we're open to um, the public 35 hours a week. We have business users that come in. Um, they have requests that we run prototyping for them. And we're finally to the point that we're um, printing literature um, that we are going to be selling time in the lab to businesses so that they can have private time in the lab to do development for projects. Um, so that'll be another source of revenue. We are also reaching out to other divisions, our math and science division, for example, and the arts and humanities division. They um, are now developing modules within their courses and bringing their students in. For example, um, one of the physics professors brought his students in to, as part of one of the labs to develop an underwater antenna. And um, he really was quite pleased with the outcomes for the students because typically um, when you run a lab, it's very canned. You know, everything is very predictable. And the intent is to get the student to the end point so that they understand the concept. Um, when he brought his students into the fab lab, he let them make choices about how they were going to design and build the antenna that were not normally choices the students could make. What kind of material were they going to use? Um, what kind of structure? So what he found was that the students actually had a much deeper understanding and spent much more time working on the lab because it was interesting to them. And so, you know, where they might spend uh, an hour or two in, you know, formal lab, they were spending anywhere from five to eight hours in the fab lab kind of perfecting their antenna. So, you know, I, and they had a much deeper understanding of what they were doing in the end. So, you know, I, as we um, are able to reach out and gain success stories and then have those faculty members share with other faculty in other divisions the benefits, I think that's going to help us um, market the Fab Lab for educational purposes across the campus.
Uh, Kelly, are you developing curriculums to support all these different classes? Are you using curriculums that other folks have developed? How does uh, how does the idea of curriculum come into play? Well, you know, what we do is we actually, depending on the content owner of the curriculum, so in this case it was the math science division and specifically a physics class, um, we ask, we, we try and make monies available to them either through internal grant funding or funding out of my budget to pay the um, faculty member and perhaps a student aid to, de to um, develop either new curriculum or to modify existing curriculum to the Fab Lab format. So, uh, you know, and a lot of it, it's not so much they're not willing, it's a matter of getting them used to the Fab Lab and the tools and the teaching style. So the physics professor was pretty comfortable with the teaching style already. You know, he, he's used to being a guide on the side as opposed to the sage on the stage. So he had, you know, he had no problem with that. Um, other faculty members, you know, we have to get them out of their comfort zone a little bit and, you know, almost sell them more on the teaching style so that they're willing to redevelop their content. Um, in terms of my division, um, Scott Zetek, who has been over this lab, is going to be on an, um, a sabbatical for the next year, and we're going to be developing a mechatronics um, curriculum. So I think that that mechatronics curriculum is really going to be our first attempt to use existing curriculum um, from the Fab Lab as well as develop new curriculum and, and really take full advantage of the Fab Lab. It, uh, it sounds like you're really growing beyond um, the community college model and <clears throat> reaching out to business users and, and being open to the public. How do you, uh, like, what is the business model for those non-college activities, and do you charge for that? Well, what you're, very interesting that you asked that question. We've been going through... Um, we are moving away in some senses or going beyond the standard college model. Um, you know, obviously, we do not do research here. But what we have found in working with some of the universities that we partner with is that as they try and move from research to commercialization, there's a void and there's a need. And so we have developed um, another business center here um, for sensor systems. And it's really a commercialization center for sensors, for packaging, and for reliability and testing of sensors as they're integrated into packages and then go into housings. And um, as part of that process, there's a need for prototyping. And so that links to the Fab Lab. And so we've been talking about what kind of a cost structure would we use and how does it relate to the sensor center. Um, we, we're looking at an hourly rate right now that is um, comparable to renting other technical labs, which is about, you know, we're charging, I think, I think it's 150 an hour. And then just to give you a little bit of a, a framework, we have an innovation fund and we have a technology incubator on our campus. So the technology incubator is meant to obviously grow businesses. And um, we have a private letter ruling from the IRS that um, philanthropists can donate money and then that money can be used to grow businesses. And the reason that we're allowed to do that is as part of the award to small businesses that are trying to grow, um, they have to give our students an entrepreneurial experience. So there is an educational outcome or an educational expectation. And
And so what happens is this inc this um, innovation fund is really kind of that in-between money when someone has you know, used every bit of personal money they have. They have a second mortgage. They've tapped all their friends and family, um, but they're not to the level of a VC. So, you know, it's it starts out, it's pre-seed. It's like 25000 If they, you know, make meet the goals of that first round, then the next round is 100000 But it's a, to get them to the level of commercialization where then follow-on money can be generated. So all of that being said, um, we would then take that hourly rate, 150 an hour, and discount it for those folks that win innovation fund money or our, our Glide, our, our, um, incubate, our technology incubator folks. You know, any of those businesses that are being um, mentored would get a discount for using the lab. One of the things we're trying to figure out now is we're open 35 hours a week to the public. So that means businesses can come in, but they have much more limited use. And what we're trying to do is keep the businesses from um, basically elbowing out the community users. Because what's happening is businesses are getting pretty comfortable during community time, and then the community isn't having the benefit. Um, the other thing that we do with the community is there are some organizations that work to help individuals that are disenfranchised. And um, it used to be that you would try and feed them and clothe them. Well, now what these organizations are trying to do are trying to give these folks um, um, business skills and um, skill employability skills to get them back to mainstream. Obviously, they have other personal issues that have to be addressed as well. So what we've done is we've partnered with one of the organizations that serves about 14,000 people a year, and um, we have gotten small grants to train groups of these individuals on in how to use the Fab Lab. And they've done phenomenally well. They're the most creative per people you'd ever want to meet because they have to do with nothing. And so when we get requests from the community or internally to make things for people, um, rather than do it gratis, we say there's this group of people that you can hire that will use the Fab Lab and, and make these things for you. And it gives them the ability to make some money to keep this project going, as well as the people who are doing the work can put this on a resume. So what it's kind of like this little internal micro-business, but it keeps me out of the middle in terms of personnel. And it allows me to keep my personnel focused on um, training people and supporting the lab, as opposed to becoming a job shop. Interesting. Well, that's pretty impressive. It is uh, very impressive. <laughs> you know, now, I, in, so in terms of community users, do you have you know non-business users? Do you have other populations? Okay. Um, okay. Um, Kelly, could, would you be able to do this next uh, Tuesday, same time? Yes. Oh, bless your heart. We'll get you on Skype between now and then, okay? Okay, I will make sure I'm on Skype. I'm so sorry. Um, but I promise to give you a better interview next week. Oh, no, this is tremendously helpful. Thank you so much, Kelly. Good luck. Okay. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. That was brilliant. Thank you.